Hello, and welcome to Hospice News Elevate Podcast. My name is Jim Parker. I'm editor of Hospice News, and with me today is Dr. Shoshana Ungerleader, MD, an internist at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco, and the founder of EndWell, an organization with the mission of creating a cultural shift to normalize discussions about the end of life with the goal of improving quality of life for patients and families in their final days. And Shoshana was also named a Hospice News Changemaker for the class of 2020 this year. Shoshana, thanks so much for being here. Jim, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to hear your voice. Thank you. And could you talk a little bit just about what you've experienced as a clinician so far during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've moved largely this year into a primary care role. So I've been doing less work in the hospital and, uh, and seeing patients really, you know, who are, who are ambulatory. So for me, it's been a lot about patient education and thinking about preventing the spread of COVID-19, thinking about what are the right messages to be telling people, and then lots and lots of questions about about symptoms and testing. It's just been all sorts of testing over the last many, many months. And thank goodness now we, we have the capability to be doing more testing, although we should probably be doing more than we are now. You know, early on when it was impossible to get a COVID test, our hands really as outpatient clinicians were, were tied. Since no one had access to tests, we were just telling people to, to stay home and monitor their symptoms, as weird as that was, uh, given, you know, it being 2020 and us usually being able to easily order things and diagnose and treat. It was very, very surreal, actually. So different than anything else I had ever done before. And so I've also seen more young patients interested this year in advanced care planning. So asking Hmm. about that, wanting to think about, gosh, I'm young and healthy, but what if I were to get COVID and become sick? You know, who would be speaking for me if I'm unable to speak for myself? And so thinking about those conversations. So I think it'll be interesting to see as we look back on this period of time at the data that was collected regarding sort of attitudes around um, perceptions related to serious illness and the end of life and attitudes around advanced care planning, whether or not the pandemic kind of shifted people's thinking about that at all. Thank you. And as you have these conversations with patients, educating them about the virus and trying to prevent its spread, do you bring to bear any of the skills that you previously applied to goals of care discussions uh, with your patients? Yeah, you know, I, I think for me, it starts out with really a conversation getting to know the person a little bit, trying to understand where they're coming from, their understanding of the virus in this case, and then meeting them where they are, right, in, in order to, to hopefully educate them a little bit and then talk through what their concerns might be. So absolutely, there are some similarities in terms of how, you know, I approach goals of care discussions and then thinking about you know, talking to patients about the virus as a whole and how to stay safe, for sure. Thank you. And so as this new surge of cases, uh, as everyone knows, is pummeling the country, are you or, or, uh, you know, to your knowledge, other healthcare providers seeing the same kind of problems that they were early in the pandemic? Have new issues or complications arisen that were less prevalent early on? I'm thinking in terms of PPE and some of those other uh, preparedness issues that uh, um, came to the front forefront early on. 
You know, Jim, we are absolutely seeing this exponential rise in new cases right now. And, and many of these people who are becoming sick with, with COVID, especially if we're, you know, around this, this winter time will be hospitalized and, and may in fact die of COVID-19. So we are definitely running into PPE shortages around the country. Thankfully, not so much where, where I am based, but I can tell you anecdotally from just talking to my colleagues who I, I very much trust. They have very full hospitals. They have run out of intensive care unit beds. They are reusing PPE. So we're seeing, we're seeing this same nightmare that we saw in April back in, in New York City and a few other metro areas play out across the country where we are just not prepared for what most of us believed was inevitable, given that we understand how quickly and efficiently this virus spreads in communities and the fact that we had no leadership coming from our federal government in order to do the right thing in terms of, of equip our frontline healthcare workers with the tools in order to be safe at work and then provide good quality medical care. I mean, it's just, it's completely mind blowing to me uh, that this, that we're in this situation. And in America in the year 2020, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking to see this happen and so many, so much preventable illness and, and then death. I can tell you that you know, these strict isolation protocols that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, where family members are unable to be with their loved ones in the hospital, where that, that is absolutely still the case in, in, in most places across the country. And people are having to say goodbye to the people that they love over FaceTime. And it's just, um, it's really incredible to think that, you know, we're, we're much, much worse off than we were many months ago, despite the fact that we really do understand more about this virus. And while we're, I see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of a vaccine as well as therapeutics, we're going to have a very dark few months ahead of us. What are some of the things that you would say the healthcare community has learned about care at the end of life during the COVID-19 pandemic? Gosh, so many things. First and foremost, for me, the, the importance of basic skills in palliative care for all clinicians. I think we've realized that ER doctors, ICU physicians, other specialists outside of the palliative care specialty have had to really practice a lot of palliative medicine. And so the more that they can have even a baseline foundation, um, it's so critical. And to that end, you know, communication skills training, especially when it comes to talking with people about their goals and values in the setting of a serious illness like COVID-19. I mean, this we, what we know about this virus is things can quickly turn very dangerous for people. So in a matter of hours, someone can look, can look well, and then within six hours, they can, you know, require intubation in the ICU. And so the, the more that um, we can be, well, first and foremost, I think, telling people uh, out there to talk about their wishes with their loved ones, but we also need to be training our frontline clinicians and how to talk to patients about, you know, what's, what may occur. And of course, this is not just about COVID-19, but this is, is the situation now that so many of our, of our doctors on the front lines are having to have these conversations on the fly with patients. And so I think those for me really stand out. You know, we saw organizations like CAPSI, the Center to Advance Palliative Care at the beginning of the pandemic really step up and within a few weeks time publish all sorts of educational material that they put out for free 
to any clinician who wanted to kind of learn these things, come up with a script around advanced care planning and goals of care discussions. And, you know, thousands and thousands of, of people use this. I mean, it became really a tool that helps so many people. We should be including that in the curriculum of, of, of training all medical students and, and residents. That's always been my belief. And I think COVID has magnified that issue even more. So my hope is that we can really learn from that going forward. So, of course, there's no, at least as far as I know, there isn't a systematic kind of system-wide movement to educate clinicians and palliative care principles overall. What You mentioned CAPSI. Are there other things that clinicians can do to, to re- acquire those basic skills? Yeah, I mean, I mean, short of just going and taking courses on their own proactively because we're opting into, you know, CME type training if, if they want. There's also, I would say, an organization called Vital Talk, which which actually partnered with CAPSI for this particular project this year during COVID. And Vital Talk is an organization that trains clinicians in how to improve their communication. And uh, it's a fantastic organization, and they provide these kinds of trainings. And, and some hospitals actually require or highly encourage, I should say, their uh, their staff to take these trainings um, because they're just so helpful no matter what specialty that you're in. So those are the vital talk would be my sort of number one in terms of, of recommended if people are interested in, in digging in more deeply in terms of the communication stuff for sure. But you're right. There's no requirements per se of, of clinicians at this point. Um, I would say that's changing a little bit around medical education and residency programs, incorporating some of this into their training modules. But, you know, I think we have a long way to go before everyone is competent in these issues as they should be. So you do see change occurring, you know, maybe slowly but surely. Uh, what kind of changes? Well, I mean, the field of palliative medicine has really only been a specialty, like a boarded field of medicine for about 12 years. So it's pretty mm-hmm. new as a field. The ideas, right, in terms of relieving suffering are not new. That's since the beginning of time. That's what clinicians have done. But but in terms of being a team-based approach to medical care that really is focused on quality of life for patients and their families facing serious illness, I mean, that, that truly just since I believe the year 2008 has been a, a specialty that w- w- requires board certification. And so I think that it takes a while, you know, for that to then trickle up, down, whatever, uh, into the culture of medicine. But that's, you know, a, a specialty that is important and valued as part of medical care for people um, who are seriously ill. And so I guess what I've seen is that, you know, in, in, in my generation of clinicians, you know, I trained, I finished residency in 2013. So, you know, at, at that time, you know, palliative care was just becoming a lot more, I guess, mainstream in terms of, an, of, a, of a potential specialty to go into and to think about. And I think just over the last seven years, I've seen so many, and obviously this is just anecdotal, you know, trainees being very much interested in, in the field, much more so than ever before. And there's obviously such a huge need given our, our aging population. And so I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that when I say the words, you know, palliative care, people don't give me, you know, a raised eyebrow. Like, what is that? They're like, oh yeah, of course, palliative care. So we were, we're making progress absolutely both for, for clinicians as well as the consumers of healthcare, meaning patients and their families for sure. 
Excellent. Thank you. And uh, of course, hospice providers, palliative care providers are, are kind of the, the experts in having those difficult conversations with patients about goals of care, end of life. Are there lessons uh, from COVID that they can, that they can apply? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think that what they have found is that there are various opportunities actually to leverage telehealth in new and different ways, given that during COVID issues around um, infection control obviously being, you know, top of mind for everyone, there have been various allowances made in terms of, of telehealth visits for palliative care clinicians for patients, even in within a hospital. So you, you may have a palliative care provider who's physically inside the building, but doesn't actually go into the COVID ICU and in fact sees patients and families over an iPad just to make it safer for everyone. And so I do think that there are, there's value in, in that and thinking about getting more creative in, in terms of how we reach people and keep them safe during the pandemic. I'll, I tell you, like, there was a, I, I recently spoke to a hospice medical director, um, Sonali Wilborn, who is the chief medical officer of, of Heart of Hospice. Mm-hmm. And they did something really incredible uh, in April during the height of the pandemic in New Orleans, where they were working with a hospital for which they realized that many of the patients who were COVID positive were going into hospice care and were still isolated from, from their loved ones. And so they were able to quickly and collaboratively work with stakeholders. And I'm sure you well know, working in, in healthcare, how long it takes to get things done and the degree of regulation and, and bureaucracy that exists within the healthcare system. And within about 10 days, they were able to identify a location where COVID-positive patients could receive hospice care and then also safely allow their family members to be at the bedside and bring in enough PPE and enough oversight such that that was a safe thing to do so these patients with COVID-19 could be surrounded by people they know and, and love in their final days of life. And the amount of collaboration that, that had to take place and the innovation that it really took to make that happen, I think is unbelievable. And we've seen that also play out throughout the pandemic. I think when there's a will to work together and we're really able to do incredible things when some of the red tape uh, gets removed. So I, I love that story. Sonali is actually going to be talking about that uh, during during our Take 10 events coming up here in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Yeah, uh, Hospice News did cover that story. It, it was tremendously impressive what they were mm-hmm. able to do. Uh, so you mentioned Take 10. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Endwell every year hosts an annual convening. This year, of course, it is virtual. And we are um, bringing people together to talk about what we've all gone through during this incredibly challenging year. And from the perspective of being a caregiver, from facing serious illness to the mental health challenges that so many people are grappling with right now to disparities in care, which we've seen play out in real time in the midst of COVID-19, where people of color are dying at at disproportionate rates, as well as grief and loss, both on a personal level as well as a collective scale. And thinking about all the themes that Endwell usually brings together to transform 
the end of life into a human-centered experience, we are talking about it through the lens of of COVID-19 and featuring a number of wonderful celebrities who are well-known people like Maria Shriver and Taraji P. Henson, Blair Underwood. Our MC is Soledad O'Brien. We have Larry King, Ellen Burstyn, Andy Cohen, um, Atul Gawande, and then many everyday heroes. So people that, you know, we, we maybe don't know by name, but are those folks on the ground who are doing incredible work in their fields. And so we've broken the, the day up into three chapters, we're calling them, um, Solace, Solidarity, and Solutions. And it's going to be really an, an incredible online experience, unlike anything I've ever uh, been to. Where we're create, where we've built our own website platform such that people have a very immersive experience, and I'm really I'm really looking forward to it. On December 10th, it's free. We want anyone and everyone to join. We're trying to make it as accessible as possible this year, and um, people can can sign up at endwellproject.org. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know I had. Uh... Uh, going to Endwell's conference at the end of last year was a terrific experience for me, and uh, I'm looking forward to take 10 uh, myself. I know, uh, you know, of course, we, we've talked about the impact that COVID-19 is having on patients and families. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the impact it's had on clinicians. Well, I, I have so many things to say about this. You know, I, I think that the degree of distress that I'm seeing among my colleagues in, in medicine and in nursing and social work, the people that every day are going into our hospitals and our clinics and caring for patients, as I mentioned earlier, without adequate protection is just staggering. And the number of people who are feeling depressed, burned out, and just frankly frightened for their lives is is incredibly significant. And I think part of it is for obvious reasons. And I think another element is that we're feeling, and I guess I can just speak for myself, I am feeling that a large proportion of the public like doesn't believe that COVID is real. And that is really hard you know, to, to get up every day and go in and, and take care of people and feel like you're not getting adequate support or being, you know, for some reason called out for encouraging mask wearing or hand washing or staying home, the things that science tells us are facts and reality. And so that's just, it's just a very challenging time for, for those reasons. And I think that there will be a mass exodus of people who leave healthcare following the the pandemic just because of the, the trauma, honestly, that they've faced having to be on the front lines and to see what they've had to see during this period of time that nobody was prepared for. It's truly heartbreaking and, and really horrible for the field of medicine and nursing and respiratory therapy and, and all of it. So, you know, from my perspective, we need much more mental health support for clinicians right now and then beyond, even, you know, several years out from this experience that the trauma is going to persist. And we need our healthcare administrators, our institutions to be willing to give us the space to process all of this. 
I liken it to, you know, going to war and to see the things that you see. There is trauma that, that occurs and we need to recognize that and we need to support clinicians through this experience. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really significant. Thank you for sharing that. And are there other things that clinicians, you mentioned mental health support, of course, uh, what else do clinicians need from perhaps the healthcare organizations that employ them during the pandemic? Hmm. Well, at a basic level, we need a safe work environment. I mean, to me, that goes without saying, but maybe it may be not. So, so we need enough PPE. We need machines like ventilators. We need enough medications to be able to adequately care for our patients. So all the supplies, right, that go in, that we take for granted, frankly, in normal times, there have been shortages of throughout this period. We cannot do our job if we don't have those things. And care suffers. And we feel very distressed about that and therefore can't do our job to the best of our ability if we're feeling, you know, upset. Um, so, you know, to me, that those are the really big things. And I think... You know, we, we could talk all about, you know, workforce shortages and, and all the things that we're, that we're seeing play out as well. But I think, you know, at, at its core, even just, you know, the, the basic level of support from our administrators would be really, really helpful at this time. Excellent. Thank you so much. Shoshana, it's been really great uh, to speak with you again. Uh, those were all the questions that I had. I really appreciated you making the time. And I hope, uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, I hope that you and your colleagues are able to continue to stay safe however long this lasts. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. No, of course. Please take care. You too. Bye.